I want to pivot now, and I've been talking about energy, and I've been talking about shortages. I've been talking about what's happening to our budgets and to our economy because of the policies of the Brandon administration. His ridiculous little, uh, we're going to try to suspend the federal gas tax. We're going to save you 18 cents. Gas has gone up $3 since he became president, from $2 on average when he took over to five ten in aver- uh, national average now. But he's going to give us 18 cents back in a national gas tax. Uh, uh, tax holiday. Simply ridiculous. Uh, we are in a, a terrible situation. And we're in this terrible situation in large part not just to Biden's economic mismanagement and his ridiculous platforms that he came in on telling everybody he's going to destroy fossil fuels. No more oil drilling, period. No more fracking for natural gas, period. And no more coal-fired plants. In fact, he said we're not only going to not build anymore, we're going to destroy the ones we have. This is about more than that. We can attribute to this economic disaster that we're facing right now, this inflationary crisis, not just to Biden platforms and policies, but to globalism. Globalism. That is the contention of our next guest who joins us uh, from the David Horowitz Freedom Center. He is a Shulman Journalism Fellow there. Uh, he is an investigative journalist and a writer focusing on the radical left and on Islamic terrorism. And now I would dare say also on globalism. Daniel Greenfield joins us again here on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Daniel, good to have you back on, a pro- on our program. How are you, sir? Good. Always good to be back. Thank you very much for making the time. So I read with great interest your latest piece in Front Page Mag, and that's where I read it. I'm sure it's in some other places, too. Tell us how the baby formula shortage, the tampon shortage, the fertilizer shortage, the neon shortage, and all of the other things, the global chips that we are all uh, you know, dealing with and terrified of, you say that it's going to be a permanent shortage, not a transitory or temporary one, like the inflation they told us was going to be. But it's going to be permanent, and it's the result of globalism. Explain how. Well, many of your listeners, I'm sure, remember uh, what happened when OPEC decided to cut off America. Uh, we had massive gas lines, and because we decided to uh, make ourselves independent on outside sources for energy, and since then, globalism has done that on, with everything, literally everything. Um, as you know, you can walk into any store and see that pretty much everything in the store is made in China, but it goes well beyond that because... So much of basic production, manufacturing, was moved offshore. So, yes, we have a ridiculous situation with a tampon shortage because we're getting our cotton that's dependent on fertilizer that's coming in from Ukraine. Likewise, we're getting neon. We're dependent on chips that are dependent on neon that comes from Ukraine. So, you know, a problem anywhere in the world suddenly shuts down everything in America. Some years back, we had suddenly hard drives that were inaccessible because hard drives were made in Thailand and Thailand was facing flooding and a coup and other instability. So uh, our entire supply chain is dependent on this entire global order, which means we either have to get into these wars and maintain this global order, or we have to deal with chaos, instability, and shortages on store shelves, because increasingly really nothing comes from America anymore. Uh, take nuclear power. Um, we, the Clinton administration decided that we should be getting our uranium from Russia, and we are. So... Anytime anything happens anywhere in the world, it's enough to interrupt the supply chain. Um, It's enough to create empty shelves in supermarkets. So this is globalism, and it is absolutely the new normal. Globalists told us this was not going to happen. They had something called the Golden Arches Theory of Conflict Prevention, which said the two countries with McDonald's are never going to go to war. Well, we're seeing that that's absolutely not true in Ukraine and Russia. 
Uh, they claim that to any countries that are part of Dell's supply chain are not going to go to war. Again, we are seeing this is clearly not true. So globalism was dependent on this global order, on the United States maintaining peace around the world. Otherwise, we end up with empty supermarket shelves, and that's just holding America hostage. We are talking with Daniel Greenfield. He is a Shulman Journalism Fellow uh, with the uh, David Horowitz Freedom Center, investigative journalist and writer. And, you know, Daniel, a cynic might hear everything you just said and say you're arguing for pure uh, isolationism. Are you? We don't need pure isolationism or isolationism per se. We just need to be independent when it comes to our commerce, when it comes to our energy, when it comes to our technology. Uh, when we're dependent on other countries, then we're going to be dragged into their wars. We're going to be forced to suffer whatever problems they're dealing with. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we have to be isolated from them. It just means we have to have the option of saying we are not getting involved. And right now we do not have that option. When it comes to being independent, however, you know, whether it be energy independent or independent when it comes to the manufacturing of some of the products that you're talking about, um, if we don't commit, and, I'm, and this is a question more than a statement, uh, is, is the fact that if we do not commit to open trade uh, on so many of these things with some of the countries that you're talking about uh, on a global scale, that we, we essentially will become isolated? If we don't commit to it, they may say, well, we're not just going to take you, um, you know, uh, playing on your whims. Okay, now we'll trade this with you. Now we'll import that from you. Now we'll accept this from you. That if you're not all in, you're not in at all. Is that something we, would, we should have to worry about? China certainly doesn't worry about it. China sets its own terms. Japan back in the day in the 80s used to set its own terms. A lot of countries set their own terms. The United States, of course, feels bound uh, to bend over backwards for everybody else because we're the ones who are supposed to be upholding the principle of free market, which really hardly anybody else besides us believes in. Now, beyond that, a lot of what I'm saying does not require that we um, engage in trade wars with other countries. It just means we need the domestic capability. And so many politicians have said we don't need the domestic capability. We just need to offshore all the dirty jobs, all the dirty industries. We're going to have other countries do all the work for us. Uh, For example, recycling. Take recycling. Until a few years ago, recycling didn't mean that we were taking products to some magic factory and remaking them. Um, So many of these boats, uh, container ships, were going back to China empty. So we put all the recycling and we sent it to China, and China did the recycling for us. And obviously there's nothing environmentally sound about that. It doesn't save any kind of energy. It doesn't save the planet. And then a few years ago, China decided that it didn't want our garbage anymore. And suddenly the recycling is now piling up in landfills. This is a ridiculous situation we're in where we refuse to do anything for ourselves. We just want the white-collar office jobs. Everybody else should do the dirty work. Well, it turns out that when we outsource the dirty work to everybody, when we don't have manufacturing in America, then we're at a risk of being cut off any time. You know, let, let's talk a little bit more about the environmentalism aspect of this, and let's talk also more about the, um, uh, about the dirty work and the, and the, you know, the manufacturing elsewhere. The, the left would have us believe, and Biden administration supporters and members would have us believe that this, this crisis that we're in right now, Biden himself has said it at least twice in the last month, uh, that this is an incredible opportunity for us. This, this, this energy crisis, this $5 at plus a gallon is an incredible opportunity for us to transition fully, his words, fully to renewable energy and electric vehicles. <clears throat> um, you point out in your article in front page, uh, that even these environmental promises of energy independence by, by converting to renewables 
is flawed because we're begging, just like we're begging OPEC now to increase production of oil in the short term, that in the long term we're begging China to produce more solar panels because we can't produce them as effectively and as cheaply here as as they do there. So we're still going to be beholden to other nations, even if we try to convert, right? Absolutely. You have John Kerry now, who's the climate czar, going around lobbying for Chinese solar panels and saying it doesn't matter that they're made with slave labor, we're trying to save the planet. Now, it doesn't matter if we're dependent on OPEC, on um, Iran, or that we're dependent on China. Either way, we're dependent on our enemies for energy, which is an absolute disaster. And by the way, um, transitioning to so-called green energy is not actually going to work. It's going to turn us into Europe. Europe decided to transition to green energy. We're not going to do coal anymore. We're going to try to get away from nuclear. We're going to be dependent on solar and wind. It didn't work. They instead became dependent on Russia, which is what brought on this current war. So we absolutely do not want to go down this path because now Europe is back to desperately trying to burn coal because the Russians aren't giving them the energy anymore. You know, you mentioned also, we're talking with Daniel Greenfield, if you just turned us on this morning on Always Right Radio, uh, on air, AM 1420, the answer online at alwaysright.us. Uh, Daniel Greenfield is a Shulman Journalism Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. You mentioned landfills, and I, I, I don't know why this isn't brought up more. They're talking about wanting to uh, replace oil, oil derricks with windmills. They're talking about wanting to replace all of these, um, you know, gasoline-powered engines with EVs and and and, uh, and, and electric vehicle uh, batteries. The components of all of these things are completely non-biodegradable. They are not going to uh, decompose. They are not going to go back into the earth. They are going to sit in these landfills until the landfills are completely full, and then they're going to start dumping them in the ocean. And why does nobody talk about that when they say this has to be done to save the planet, a planet that they are going to make in, uh, put into worse conditions because of these, uh, these um, uh, non-disposable, non-biodegradable parts? Environmentalism is about what looks good. It's not about what is good. Um, if you're driving a car and there's no tailpipe, there's no, uh, there's no fumes coming from the back of it, everything's good. You don't have to think about the fact that this is coming uh, from China, that uh, the mining is being carried out in the most destructive conditions. Forget about the human rights, just right. the basic environmental. China is about the worst for the environment. Um, that every, yes, as you've said, none of this is biodegradable. None of this is actually clean. It's about what looks clean. I mean, the same way these people are getting um, alternative milks from around the world that have to be shipped here. Um, there's a recent scandal with, for example, coconut milk, where it turns out the coconuts are being picked by monkeys, as opposed to just going to Dairyland and getting a cup of milk. Because it's about showing off how noble you are. You don't actually have to think about what you're doing and what the results are. And this well, is environmentalism in a nutshell. And, and, and the point you made earlier about slave labor, they just completely discount. Most of them are the ones who are screaming that the United States is irredeemably racist. It is systemically racist. There are people who don't have opportunities here. There are people who are oppressed in the United States, and we have to atone for all of those things. The same people who are saying what you said a moment ago, that the slave labor that is required to make this conversion that they are talking about literally doesn't matter. We don't care if they're enslaving people in other countries because we got a planet to save. That's, that's an astounding thing for people who claim to be looking out for those who are oppressed. And they're creating most of the problems in this country by doing so, because it was possible to have a decent middle-class life without a college degree, without a white-collar job. They outsourced so many of these jobs to China, where it's done by slave labor, while denying them to the American working class, cutting off particularly black people, but plenty of white people, uh, people of all races from good manufacturing jobs. Uh, they did this, and now they're screaming about systemic racism. Uh, there was a much better opportunity for people 
um, before they did all this. There was a much better opportunity for people in the 70s and the 80s. Now they've decided that uh, the lack of economic opportunity is systemic racism as opposed to their environmental policies. Daniel, I want to wrap with this. Um, again, you know, your, the headline of your column uh, on this is a permanent shortage of everything. You're literally saying this is not something that's going to go away in a few months. We can't just say, well, we rode that out, but now we're back down to 250 a gallon or something, and now we're back to having full shelves. You literally say it's going to be permanent. Is there a way to head it off at all? No, we need to actually reshore instead of offshoring. Uh, we discovered just how fragile this global supply chain is when everything went wrong around the same time. But, you know, even when things are better, they're fundamentally broken. We need to actually start building, manufacturing, drilling in America. And we need to be able to say that we can ride out international crises without having empty store shelves. And if we can't have a business community that is willing to go along with that, a government that is willing to go along with that, this is just going to happen. You know, even if it's resolved next week, it's going to happen again and again and again. Daniel Greenfield. Daniel, I apologize, by the way, if I called you David, referring to the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I may have. Uh, I heard it in my head after the fact, and I thought, did I just say David? So if I did, I apologize. Daniel Greenfield. (laughs) Well, you're right. uh, That's well said. I I love David. Uh, I've had him on many times, and uh, his work is is invaluable, as is yours uh, with the Freedom Center. Uh, Daniel Greenfield, thank you very much for coming on and uh, shining a light on all of this for us. I hope we can call on you again. That's always my pleasure. Thank you, sir. God bless. All right, that's uh, Daniel Greenfield, Shulman Journalism Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. So, I, like I said, I may have done the David to him there. All right, get a quick time out now. It's 1124. Uh, now we're guest-free the rest of the way. So I've got yeah, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes-ish uh, to take your phone calls. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always write radio right back after this. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.